Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. I'm a wildlife biologist. I do a lot of work in Northern Cali and Oregon, and during the summer I work nights. I'm female and do most of the work solo. Last summer I was hiking in. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Deep woods in Northern Cali, about an hour and a half from my truck with no cell service. Around 1.30 a.m. I had finished up surveys and was heading back when I suddenly smelled something odd. I continued up the steep hill and as I came over the top I was suddenly on the edge of a large camp. The area was cleared and I could see several tents and UT versus, and trash everywhere. That weird smell? It was a porta potty, I could also see a fire pit with several figures sitting around it. I stopped dead, immediately dropped to the ground and scrambled behind a tree. I was close enough to hear some mumbled conversation and occasional loud laughter. The only reason there would be a camp that far into the wilderness would be to grow weed illegally. These people can be very violent, and many people involved in the industry go missing every year. Women especially can be swept into sex trafficking, never to be seen again. I got out my spot device, GPS locator and satellite messaging, and sent my location and situation to my supervisor. I crawled as quietly as possible back down the hill before retracing my steps to take a long way around. My adrenaline ran high until I got to the safety of my truck, and I crashed hard and cried on the phone to my supervisor. That was one of the more terrifying moments in my career. I've had several encounters alone with large predators, but nothing is scarier than encountering a group of strangers alone in the deep woods. So as a Marine, my first assignment took me to good old USAG Yongsan in Korea. It had a rich history, once serving as an Imperial Japanese Army base during a dark time when the Japanese were exerting their control over the Korean Peninsula. I recall seeing an Imperial Chrysanthemum still adorning the 8th Army HQ, reminding us of its past. However, there was a lesser known corner of the base where a peculiar building stood, possibly a storage facility for the hospital or something of the sort. This place had towering walls that seemed to guard its secrets, and it had been rumored to be a special hospital during the Japanese occupation. There were countless stories circulating among staff duty officers about encountering eerie phenomena while conducting their checks. As for me, I was assigned to overnight guard duty at the United Nations Command HQ in Yongsan. About three to four years prior, a fellow NCO approached the guard, requested his weapon, and tragically took his own life in the gazebo located at the back of the headquarters. So, the building itself was equipped with automatic front doors and surveillance cameras that monitored the area outside the entrance. On one particular night, around 2 a.m., my friend and I noticed a dark, shadowy figure ascending the ramp towards the entrance, and our initial thought was, probably the sergeant of the guard, just great. I stepped out of the guard post to brief him while my buddy stayed inside, keeping an eye on the camera feed. To our surprise, both the inner and outer automatic doors opened, but there was no one there. I thought to myself, ah, the SOG must be playing tricks on us, so I quickly stepped outside the building to investigate, but there was no sign of anyone. Puzzled, I returned inside and asked my friend where the person had gone. 
He gave me a bewildered look and informed me that he had witnessed the figure entering the building. We discussed what had occurred and came to the chilling conclusion that it must have been the ghost of the NCO, making his phantom rounds as the SOG from that point on, I adamantly refused to pull another night shift in that building. The unnerving experience had left an indelible mark on my psyche, and I deemed it best to avoid any further encounters with the supernatural within those walls. On the evening of July 7, 2007, I was patrolling a swampy area in Lauderdale County, Mississippi as a police officer. The moon cast an eerie glow, creating an atmosphere of mystery. As I drove, my headlights caught two red dots reflecting back at me. Intrigued, I approached the source and discovered an unusual creature. It resembled an alligator, but with distinct legs and arms that ended in thumbs. The creature stood upright, just like a human, walking with a peculiar gait. The sighting lasted for about 20 seconds before it vanished into the darkness under the thick tree canopy. There were no nearby houses, and this location wasn't far from where several alligators had been spotted earlier that week. It was impossible to mistake this creature for any other animal. I immediately reported the incident to my supervisor, who was taken aback by my account. In the morning, a request was made for a helicopter equipped with thermal imaging devices, but our search yielded no results. Speculation arose that the creature I witnessed might be the Lizard Man, a figure intertwined with the legend of the Moth Man. One of the earliest reported sightings of the Lizard Man came from an oil rig worker in Scarberry, West Virginia. According to local residents, there are caves in the nearby swamps where bodies were allegedly experimented on during World War II by Japanese scientists under Operation Paperclip. Some believe these experiments may have given rise to the existence of these lizard-like beings, but such claims remain speculative. There are other infamous cases, such as the Lizard Man of Scape or Swamp in South Carolina during the 1980s. A young man encountered a large humanoid lizard while dealing with car troubles by the roadside. The creature gave chase, leaving a lasting impression on the witness. Another account came from a hunter who claimed to have seen a seven-foot-tall lizard walking into the swamp, trying to make eye contact before disappearing into the water. This less-known encounter took place three years after the young man's incident, but the hunter's description matched the drawing of the creature made by the boy. Similar sightings of these creatures have been reported in various locations worldwide, including Central and South America, Africa, Australia, Japan, and China. Witnesses often describe them as bipedal reptiles with scales. Even Native American folklore tells tales of giant lizard-like monsters that prey on humans, particularly children. Some cultures revered lizard-like beings as gods, while others viewed them as savage man-eaters or demonic entities. Sheriff Billy Soley of Lauderdale County acknowledged that they haven't found concrete evidence to prove or disprove the creature's existence. However, they remain open to investigation. Local residents and those near the area continue their search, hoping to uncover any evidence that might shed light on these sightings. In conclusion, I would like to emphasize that there are numerous first-hand reports and encounters with these creatures. We must handle this information with care, 
ensuring it doesn't fall into the wrong hands or cause unnecessary panic. If you have any additional information or have had a personal encounter with this creature, please reach out to me via email. My father had always been drawn to the great outdoors. Growing up, he would often accompany my grandfather on their expeditions, exploring various places with a sense of curiosity that seemed to run in the family. It was no surprise that my father eventually became a park ranger, immersing himself in the beauty of nature and creating countless memories for our family. There was a particular holiday season when the national park welcomed an influx of tourists seeking adventure. Some were simply looking for a fun experience, while others were engaged in field research. Among them was a team of five researchers, a group that stood out with their intelligence and sanity, surpassing even the most educated of visitors. Late one night, my father received a distress signal on his walkie-talkie from one of his fellow researchers. Equipped with his trusty rifle, he embarked on a mission to investigate. As the terrain became impassable for his jeep, they continued on foot, deciding to split up and search in two different directions to cover more ground. To ensure their safety and avoid getting lost, they tied ribbons along their respective paths, yellow for my father and blue for one of his partners. As my father ventured deeper into the woods, he found no trace of the rest of the group. Attempting to contact his partner through the walkie-talkie proved futile, there was no response. Undeterred, he pressed on, tying ribbons along the way. However, he began to notice something peculiar. He kept encountering yellow ribbons tied to trees, suggesting that he might have taken a different route than he intended. After a brief rest under a tree, he examined one of the ribbons more closely and realized it wasn't the same ribbon he had tied earlier. These ribbons appeared weathered and worn, and unlike his single knot, these were double knotted. This raised a sense of unease within him. The area they were in was restricted, reserved for important personnel only. Who could have journeyed this far and tied these yellow ribbons? Determined to unravel the mystery, my father decided to follow these unfamiliar markers, hoping they would lead him to the correct ones. As he retraced his steps, he heard faint sounds and noticed flickering lights emanating from a certain direction. Curiosity got the better of him, and he cautiously approached the source of the commotion. To his horror, he stumbled upon a group of researchers wearing bizarre attire, engaged in a macabre dance around a central fire. Four individuals were present, but one was conspicuously missing. Hidden behind a tree, my father observed as two members of the group emerged from the woods, carrying a large wooden branch with a man bound to it. The man's hands and legs were tightly secured, and it was evident that he had met a grim fate, he had been prepared for some horrific ritual, cooked alive. Shaken by what he had witnessed, my father attempted to contact his partner for assistance, yet no response came. Realizing the danger he was in, he decided to make his escape. As he turned to flee, he sensed a lingering presence, something lurking in the shadows. These cannibalistic murderers were still pursuing him. In a desperate attempt to divert their attention, my father climbed up a tree, silently praying that they would leave. From his vantage point, he observed their ghastly appearance, emaciated, white-skinned creatures resembling humans, 
but with grotesque features. Their hollowed out eyes and elongated fangs sent chills down his spine. Finally, they dispersed, unaware of his hidden perch. Carefully descending the tree, my father cautiously scanned his surroundings, ensuring the creatures were gone. Exhausted and drained, he began to lose consciousness. It was then that he realized he had been poisoned, some unknown substance seeping into his skin. Collapsing onto the forest floor, his next recollection was waking up in a hospital bed. When my father recounted the harrowing incident to senior officials, they dismissed his claims and denied any clearance he had held. It wasn't long after that he was stripped of his position as a park ranger, stripped of everything he had worked for in his career. Subsequently, he received multiple death threats, a grim reminder of the sensitive information he possessed and the things he had seen that fateful day, an ominous secret that could never be allowed to reach the public. Dimly lit, cluttered with scientific equipment and specimen containers, the remote Iraqi lab is an eerie and foreboding place. The sound of machinery hums in the background. A group of scientists, huddled together in lab coats, move with purpose around a large glass enclosure in the center of the room. Inside the enclosure is a bizarre creature, resembling a hybrid between a wolf and a reptile. Dr. Hassan, a middle-aged scientist with graying hair, observes the creature intently, a mix of excitement and trepidation in his eyes. We've done it. The perfect specimen. Our own creation. Dr. Ali, a younger scientist with an air of uncertainty, approaches Dr. Hassan, casting a worried glance at the creature. But what if something goes wrong? What if it gets out? Hassan waves off Dr. Ali's concerns dismissively. We have taken every precaution, my dear Ali. Our creation will be contained within these walls. Suddenly, an alarm blares, flashing red lights fill the room. Panic ensues. What's happening? Said Hassan. Dr. Ali frantically replied, it's escaped. The creature has breached containment. The scientists scramble, desperately trying to regain control. The creature, now free, prowls the lab with a savage and calculated intent. What have we unleashed? One by one, the scientists become prey to the unstoppable creature. It lunges, claws, and tears through their bodies, leaving a trail of carnage in its wake. The lab descends into chaos as screams of pain and terror echo through the air. Few days later, in the blistering heat of the Al-Hahara desert in Iraq, beads of sweat glistened on my forehead as I, Jocko King led my highly trained Navy SEAL team on Operation Mirage. Our mission was to infiltrate a suspicious research facility in Iraq, rumored to be a covert weapons development site. The stakes were high, and failure was not an option. As we trek through the unforgiving desert, our bodies pushed to the limits by the scorching sun, we remained vigilant, aware of the hostile Iraqi forces that could be lurking in the shadows. Our camouflaged gear provided little relief from the relentless heat, but we pressed on, knowing that the fate of many lives depended on our success. Finally, we arrived at the facility, its nondescript exterior belying the secrets hidden within. With calculated precision, we breached the compound, ready to face whatever lay ahead. To our astonishment, the facility appeared deserted, 
devoid of any human presence. Confusion gnawed at our minds as we cautiously proceeded, scanning our surroundings for any signs of life. Then, the unnerving truth revealed itself. Littering the corridors were the lifeless bodies of over a hundred scientists and doctors, their vacant stares forever frozen in a haunting tableau. The silence was oppressive, as if the air itself held its breath in anticipation. We couldn't fathom the horrors that had unfolded within these walls, but we had little time to dwell on it. Suddenly, a chilling growl resonated through the empty halls. We snapped into high alert, our senses heightened, ready to face any adversary that dared to challenge us. Emerging from the shadows was a creature beyond our wildest imagination, a cryptid, resembling a hulking Bigfoot with fur that blended seamlessly with the desert sands, and razor-sharp black talons reminiscent of an eagle's claws. Fear coursed through our veins, but we had been trained to face the unknown, to confront danger head-on. The cryptid lunged at us with a ferocity that matched its monstrous appearance. It moved with unnatural speed, leaving us scrambling to defend ourselves. In the chaos, it claimed the lives of a few of my fellow seals, their sacrifice etching a permanent ache in my heart. Yet, we refused to surrender. We fought back with every ounce of strength and skill we possessed. Bullets pierced the creature's flesh, and the deafening blasts of gunfire reverberated through the facility. Our determination proved unwavering, even as exhaustion threatened to consume us. And finally, we succeeded in bringing down the cryptid, its monstrous form collapsing in a heap before us. As the creature took its last breath, an inexplicable phenomenon occurred. Its lifeless body disintegrated into a swirling mist, dissipating into the air as if it had never existed. The implications of this encounter were far-reaching, and our minds spun with questions that remained unanswered. Inside the facility, we established contact with the nearest U.S. military base, informing them of our triumph over the conquered facility. Our voices trembled with a mixture of relief, exhaustion, and a lingering sense of unease. We had accomplished our mission, but the memory of that cryptid, the horror we had witnessed, would forever haunt our dreams. I served in the SAF as a combat medic, and was tasked to lead a medical support team for a training course in Brunei. Due to one of my medics falling sick out in the field, I had the privilege of taking his place and spending the night, with an officer and a warrant officer, W.O., on a narrow ridgeline in Mount Byong, which was apparently a navigation exercise checkpoint for the trainees. As night fell, we were warned by the officer to refrain from sleeping in the middle of the ridgeline as we ran the risk obstructing the path of any wandering spirits. Out of respect, we took the advice and constructed our hammocks as close to the sides of the ridgeline as we dared. Being a light sleeper, I kept being roused by the sound of the occasional heavy, footstep walking by, crunching on the dead leaves and sticks on the ground. The footsteps sounded human, but at that point of time at night, nobody was supposed to navigate the mountain in pitch black. The next morning, my auditory experience was validated when all three of us found fresh tracks, too big to belong to any animal, on the ground that appeared in inconsistent intervals. I was walking through the vast field, 
my footsteps crunching on the dry grass beneath my boots. The sun was setting, casting an orange glow across the landscape. As a park ranger, I had spent countless hours patrolling these woods, ensuring the safety of both the visitors and the wildlife that called this place home. I had a routine, a familiar path I followed every evening. But this time, something felt off. The air was thick with an eerie silence, broken only by the distant chirping of birds. As I approached the tree line, a sense of unease settled upon me, like a shiver running down my spine. And then, it happened. A bone-chilling, raptor-like scream pierced through the air, cutting through the tranquility of the evening. The sound reverberated through the trees, resonating deep within me. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest, my senses heightened. I stood there, immobile, for what felt like an eternity. The seconds stretched into minutes, and my mind raced with a whirlwind of possibilities. Was it a wild animal? A prankster playing tricks on me? Or something else entirely? With trembling hands, I reached for my shotgun, fingers fumbling as I loaded a shell into the chamber. The weight of the weapon provided some semblance of comfort, a small assurance in the face of the unknown. I slowly made my way to a nearby towering tree, its ancient branches reaching out like skeletal fingers against the fading light. Leaning my back against its sturdy trunk, I sat down, my eyes scanning the surrounding area, searching for any signs of movement or danger. But there was nothing. The woods remained still, devoid of life. The only sounds now were the soft whispers of the wind and the rustling leaves. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that unseen eyes were trained on me from the shadows. Time ticked by, the minutes merging into an indefinite stretch of apprehension. The night gradually enveloped the land, casting an impenetrable darkness upon the trees. Still, I remained, alert and vigilant. Hours passed and the moon cast its faint glow over the landscape. No more screams, no more unsettling noises disrupted the calm. With a mix of relief and curiosity, I cautiously rose from my spot and continued my patrol. As I made my way back through the field, a nagging sense of unease lingered within me. I couldn't shake the feeling that whatever had emitted that bone-chilling scream was still out there, lurking in the shadows. But for now, all I could do was carry on, my footsteps echoing through the night, and hope that tomorrow would bring answers to the mystery that had unfolded in the woods. I haven't told this to anyone but my brother because he knows where this place is. There are remote cypress swamps along the Pearl River in central Mississippi, and some of them become inaccessible due to flooding during hunting season. The remoteness of some of these places create ideal situations for a hunter willing to put in the extra effort, and I have hunted these woods and swamps for years and know them well. Even though it's a bad idea, when I was younger I was confident enough to hunt back in there alone. One afternoon during duck season, a front was coming in and I knew if I could get to Deal Island that it would be a good day. I put on my chest waders and rode my four-wheeler down an overgrown logging trail in the swamp to the edge of the flood. I waited a couple of sloughs and got to a particular honey hole where I could slay them. I did, and it was good. But when it came time to wade back out, I got a sense of unease that I could not explain. 
The weather was odd because even though the temp was dropping and a front was expected, everything was absolutely still and quiet. If you have ever been alone in a swamp at night you will know what I mean, but everything is different when you can only see what's in the cone of light from your flashlight. I wasn't worried because my light was good and, hell, I was carrying a 12 gauge shotgun. But, still, something kept making the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I was being watched and I could feel it. Sound carries funny in the swamp but the sloshing noises I was making was the only thing I could hear. It was echoing back to me in funny ways, and when I stopped to adjust the strap on the bag of decoys, the sloshing echo did not stop when it should have. Okay. There is something else in the swamp. No big deal. Some deer or hog will realize I am human in a minute and move away. Except it didn't. I would move for a bit and then stop and listen. The sound of something else out there would also stop but it was getting closer. Not normal. The cone of my flashlight made the trees and tangled brush cast long, scraggly shadows that moved with me as I tried to hurry out of the swamp. My knuckles were turning white on that Remington 870 and I was wishing it was loaded with something heftier than number 2 steel shot. I noticed a very bad smell, like skunk except much worse, and stopped again to listen and shine my light around. I noticed how the shadows continued to move but holy crap I'm not moving why are the goddamn shadows moving? A limb snapped and when I spun around to face it, something that was not there made a soft hissing noise. The beam of my light just ended in a shape of nothingness that was not there. A breath of stench hit my face and I heard that hissing sound again and I got the F out of that swamp. I was shaking and drenched in sweat when I got back to the truck, and those woods did not feel like my woods anymore. When I say it was something that was not there, that is the only way I can describe it. My light hit it, and there was shadow behind it, but there was nothing there. Something in that swamp scared the crap out of me, and I do not want to know what it was. I grew up on an Indian reservation here in Oklahoma. I am Cherokee Indian. Our home was by a massive cave system and in the middle of two hills. There is a cave on the property that everyone on the reservation knows Sasquatch exists. It is common knowledge where we come from. We would know their moods just by the sounds he made. When he was upset you would know it because his anger would be heard throughout the whole reservation. People talked about it in casual conversation. For instance, did you hear Sasquatch upset last night, etc. My grandparents told me not to fear him because they had a pact with him and he would not harm us. All was good until more Sasquatch came. These were evil ones, not the same as the Sasquatch that had always been there. He had been run off from the territory we believe. I had to walk down a long dirt road to get to my school bus. They would chase me up in the woods, whooping and throwing rocks at me. I was terrified and I got a feeling they wanted to hurt me. It kept getting worse. I refused to even walk to school after that. At night, when my cousins would come over, we would all play outside in the front yard. These new Sasquatch would gather around in the hills with their glowing red eyes and watch us. I know if our parents would have not been out there they would have taken us and harmed us. I could feel it. I could sense their body and their bad intentions. I told my family that they were bad. My uncle did not listen. 
He went for a walk alone to the water which was like a mile and a half from his house. He was drowned in knee-deep water and was an avid swimmer. No wounds, just a mysterious death. But I knew they killed him. He was the first of many unknown mysterious deaths that started to occur by the water. In that area, the person was always alone. It was always a mystery. I'm glad I stuck with my gut feelings because they were getting more aggressive every day that I walked to school. I believe my instincts saved my life. To this day, they are still killing people in the area. The person is always alone and the death is always a mystery. But I know and so do the other people on the reservation. Always follow your instincts. I'll send you more stories at a later date. Thank you for reading. When I served in the Navy, my role was in aviation. While deployed, I had the opportunity to be on the flight deck during the day. The Navy is renowned for its utmost vigilance in protecting the airspace above aircraft carriers. Any approaching aircraft is met with swift action, with alert jets launching to ensure the safety and security of the carrier. One morning, something caught my attention as I looked up. Along with my fellow sailors, I witnessed an aircraft in the distance. It had a distinct red star on its vertical stabilizer and was calmly cruising directly above our flight deck. It was an unusual sight because we were often reminded of how the Russians are always testing our airspace and the need for us to respond promptly to any such incursions. However, this particular aircraft seemed to be peacefully soaring a few thousand feet above our flight deck, defying the expected reaction. The incident left us intrigued and sparked discussions among the crew. It was a reminder of the complex dynamics and constant surveillance that define naval operations, even when unexpected occurrences challenge our preconceived notions. I live at the base of Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs, surrounded by the majestic mountains. During the spring and summer, I spend a lot of my time exploring these rugged terrains. However, the scariest experience I've ever had in those mountains occurred during a severe lightning storm that put me and my two buddies in grave danger. It all started when five of us embarked on a mountain adventure, driving in a Jeep Wrangler and a Hummer. We received a phone call from someone who said they would meet us at our destination. Perfect, we thought. They provided us with directions to the camping spot and an alternate meetup location in case they couldn't find it, a simple spot easily accessible off the main road before the dense forest. This way, one of us could guide the third car back once enough time had passed, accounting for the loss of cell service in the area. Everything seemed well planned until the storm hit. If you've never experienced hail season on the front range of Colorado, you can't truly comprehend how swiftly a devastating storm can brew and dissipate. Out of nowhere, a gentle drizzle transformed into a torrential downpour accompanied by hail the size of marbles. In the blink of an eye, our biggest predicament became apparent. The Jeep, already packed with camping gear, a valuable telescope, and various supplies, only had two seats. There was no space for three people no matter how we rearranged our belongings. Unspoken but understood, we refused to leave anyone outside in the hail, and the thought of leaving just one person behind was out of the question. We were in this together. 
As the rain pelted us and the hail grew more intense, the real danger revealed itself. The electricity in the air crackled ominously. Nestled within a canyon, the thunder reverberated, echoing off the rocky walls, making it seem as if Zeus himself had discovered my transgressions against Calliope and was unleashing his wrath. The deafening noise sent chills down our spines. Desperate for shelter, we rummaged through the jeep and found a blue tarp. With some quick thinking and resourcefulness, we managed to tie it between a few trees, creating a makeshift refuge from the rain. But it was one lightning bolt, in particular, that forever altered my perception of the Rockies' power. Approximately 50 feet from our huddled shelter, a fence marked the boundaries of a vast ranch. Though we couldn't see the ranch itself, the fence stood prominently, accompanied by a large pillar adorned with a sign warning trespassers of potential consequences, including being shot. And then it happened. While we anxiously waited for the storm to subside, amid countless flashes of lightning and thunderous booms, a colossal bolt of electricity arched around the mountain we were nestled against. It struck the post with a force that seemed to hold it captive for a seemingly eternal two or three seconds. The bolt was enormous, and our horror knew no bounds as it occurred less than 100 feet away. The most disturbing part was what followed. For a fleeting 10 seconds after the bolt dissipated, that trespassing sign glowed a molten red and emitted a deafening vibration that cut through the rest of the storm. Our friends in the Hummer returned about 45 minutes later, finding us in a clear sky with temperatures soaring back to a balmy 75 degrees. The storm had vanished as if it were never there, leaving us shaken by the power we had witnessed. My fiancé has a really good one from when he was at West Point, the military academy. So there's a lot of haunted parts of West Point since it's so old, and tons of legends or ghost stories told by the cadets from over the years. It was during the summer, and the place was basically empty. He was on night duty for one of the oldest barracks on the campus. All night long, he kept hearing someone walking around on one of the floors above him, and when he would go up and check it out, this one room would have a light turned on. He kept turning off the light, locking the door, and then would go back down to his desk on the main floor. He said at first, he thought someone was just messing with him. But then it started getting really annoying. So around 2 a.m., he gets a phone call from someone, a brigade commander or something. This guy starts screaming at him on the phone, Cadet, I'm looking at Scott Barracks, not sure if it was actually Scott but for the story's sake, it's Scott Barracks, right now and I see a light on the third floor. Go take care of that light. So my fiancé, fed up at this point, goes upstairs again, unlocks the room door, and turns off the light again. An hour later, he gets another call. Cadet, this is Lieutenant Colonel Meyer and I'm looking at Scott Barracks and that light on the third floor is still on. I want you to go turn it off and then meet me at Thayer Statue to explain why you can't follow basic orders. Thayer Statue was a common meeting point for cadets, so after going up to the third floor one again, my fiancé makes his way to the statue to get chewed out by this lieutenant colonel and explain that the light kept going on even after he turned it off. At this point he was super creeped out and it was really late, like 3 a.m., 
So he made one of his friends come with him so they that they could both explain to this brigade commander what was going on. They get to the statue and wait. No one comes. They keep waiting, because the last thing they want is to get in trouble for not waiting for a lieutenant colonel on top of the light. After an hour, no one came. They decide to leave. The next morning, he decided to tell his company commander what happened with the light, and mentioned that Lieutenant Colonel Meyer had called them and then never showed up to Thayer statue to talk. The company commander turned pale, looked at my fiancé, and asked him if he was sure it was Lieutenant Colonel Meyer who had called. My fiancé was like, yeah, I'm sure, he yelled at me twice and made me walk to meet him at 3 a.m. About it. Apparently, a decade earlier, a Lieutenant Colonel Meyer had committed S in those barracks in that room on the third floor. So my fiancé swears up and down that his ghost had called him that night and had kept turning on the lights in that room. I grew up in Alaska. Just on the bubble of civilization. Sort of. Up there even in the big cities you'll get bears and moose and such. I was walking home from the bus stop. Our driveway was about a half mile long through woods. I heard noise to my right and stopped, hoping it was anything other than the one animal that scares me. And then it stepped out of the trees. I froze. My blood felt cold and stopped in my veins. A moose, full-grown female, was standing maybe 20 feet from me in the middle of the road. It stopped, and turned to look at me. I was scared with no backup plan. What can a 12 or so year old do against a full-grown moose? Then. It happened. I heard another noise. Behind me. I truly thought I was dead. I thought my life is now over, I'm about to be between a mama and a baby moose, and I'm going to die. I remember feeling frozen, and not at all tranquil and at peace. I couldn't even scream. From the edge of my eyesight I saw the second moose emerge from the thick stand of alder trees and disappear behind me. I could hear the steps on the soft dirt. My eyes locked onto the moose in front of me, trying to will it to stay calm. I stopped breathing, and then felt it. A gentle whoosh of warm air down the back of my neck, followed by the unmistakable sound of a forced inhale. The moose behind me was sniffing my head. I could feel the breath hear the nostrils flare. Some neighbor had dogs, off through the woods a ways and they must have gotten out of their yard. They started barking inside the trees, and startled both moose that turned and ran back the way they came, crashing into the small trees and leaving. To this day, the only animal I'm afraid of is moose. I've been fishing with brown bears, had black bears say hi as they walked by my camp. Mountain lions stalk us and then leave doesn't rattle me, until I see a cow moose alone, and then I just hope to whatever is higher than me, that I'm not between her and her cub. I encountered an unknown intelligent humanoid. I pulled into my driveway in Fernandina Beach, Florida around 9pm on the evening of September 6, 2022. It was very dark out with no cars or street lights nearby. I stopped my car and turned it off. I then opened my door and stood up to exit the vehicle. As I stood up I saw something difficult to describe. 
With the car door still open I saw what looked like some kind of cloaked creature walking around the corner of the house from the backyard. It was hard to see. It looked like the shadow of a human-sized creature. It was totally black and moved like a person walking upright. It blocked out what was behind it and I could really only see the distortion it caused. The distortion had wavy edges as if it was surrounded by energy. I could make out its head and shoulders but only in vague form. The humanoid took several steps and at that instant, I thought to myself, what is that? It stopped dead in its tracks and appeared to look right at me. At this time I was scared to death that this creature had noticed me and was looking right at me. After a few seconds of looking at each other, the creature turned and walked back around behind the house and I never saw it again. The entire encounter lasted about 20 seconds. I thought for months it was a ghost or demon as my grandmother often told stories of seeing ghosts. Only recently have I begun to think it was an intelligent creature with a technology that was inexplicable. After the encounter, I got back into my car and drove to my roommate's work, and waited for him to get off work and come home with me. This was the most terrifying experience I've ever had. This is the second unknown encounter I've had. For years I believed that encounters like these were just reported by crazy people. I now believe that we are clearly not alone and not the smartest or most technologically advanced creatures on this planet and beyond. I have seen where you write and report about various humanoids and other unexplained beings. What are your thoughts? I reported this encounter to MUFON but I was ignored. Thanks for your time. My buddy and I were on our way to Peoria which is about an hour and a half away. No one is around. It's one of those real clear nights. Warm summer night. Happened in June. Anyway, we're going along. Nobody around us. Around 11.45 at night, if I remember right. We're driving. Going about 55 miles per hour. We're in the right-hand lane. In the left-hand lane appears out of its own mist, a green figure about 7 feet tall. You know what it had on? A cape. With no face. Can't tell if it's fat or skinny and it's standing still in the left-hand lane and it doesn't budge. With its arms draped out side to side. It was the Grim Reaper. It was the only thing I could think of. I used to laugh at people who would tell me about the Grim Reaper. Right when I was thinking, that was the Grim Reaper and kept it to myself, my buddy says, what was that? And I thought Grim Reaper in my mind and he said it out loud. And I looked at him with a straight face and I said, yeah, it was. That was the summertime in June and I'll never forget it like it happened yesterday. That thing was at least 7 feet tall. Never saw it again. Never want to see it again. But it was as real as you and I talking right now. So, on watch one night me and my buddy were joking around. We were given strict orders not to go beyond the ECP, for any reason. Seems fair. Well, about 20 minutes into the watch we both start shivering despite it being a warm and humid night. Maybe another 15 minutes and we hear a blood-curdling scream from the woods about 10 yards from the post. I'm talking it sounded like a woman was being stabbed. Over and over again. It was at least 10 seconds of straight screaming. 
When morning came around, we asked, and we were told no one was out and no one was supposed to be in the area except for our guys. Well, there was an incident which taught me to regularly make what is called a J-turn, to watch boar check by back trail. I was scouting a distant group of hills along an inaccessible river, no docks for miles. There were past rumors of mountain lions being back in there, though all the eastern breeds are supposedly not existence anymore. There had been a light snow before dawn, but it didn't hinder me from walking way back, and cresting the highest hilltop where I could see the big bend of the river. For whatever reason, I decided to circle the tippy top of this hill before going back down, where I could then pick up my old trail where I walked inwards. When I completed my circling, I came back down but immediately but stopped dead. There were a second set of prints right next to my steps, big paw prints. As I sat watching that river, there was a fucking big cat sitting somewhere, watching me. Now, heading back down, I had lost the high ground, and the pursuit position was now in his favor. I made J turns every 300 yards on the way back. I make J turns on the way in, and out, of every area I hunt if it is in a remote location. And yes, I seen dogs, deer, and even men following my paths before. My father when he was in his late teens used to hunt deer in New Zealand, this would have been the late 60s, early 70s. He was out with some friends hunting in thick bush at night, using a spotlight connected to a battery that they would carry in a backpack. My father saw the shine of deer eyes in the dark, a very easy shot. A direct and clean shot. On approaching the kill a few things stood out to him as slightly unusual, firstly was the horse he had killed. Secondly were the two terrified Maori guys who leapt from their tent next to the dead horse understandably scared for their lives. I think he had to pay them enough to buy a couple of horses to clear the matter up. Also, he only ever hunted during daylight after that. When we were kids my dad took the whole family to do an overnight tenting trip on the next lake over from where our cabin was. The other lake was about a mile portage in, and had no road access. This lake was about as remote as you can get. That night, around dusk three drunk guys show up in a boat stating the tiny island we were camping on used to be theirs. They came and made small talk but they were creepy as f. I was maybe 10 or 12 and my dad just happened to be cutting wood when they pulled up. He didn't put the axe down for the rest of the night. In the end nothing happened but I have no idea who they were or where they came from. This is a strange story but interesting nonetheless so I thought I should share it to see if anybody could do anything with it. I have a videotape of my great grandma from when I was kid. She was sitting around with her sisters talking about old stories from when they were kids. One sister started talking about a story her father, my great-great-grandpa made her promise to never talk about, but since she was over 90 years old she didn't think it mattered anymore. She was very flustered still just talking about it. The best we can tell, this event took place in the Logansport, Indiana area in approximately the 1890s or so. 
My great aunt was taking food to her father and grandfather working the fields all day as she did every day. She would take a horse and cart out to where they were working, have lunch, then come back home. On this particular day, she could not find her father, or grandfather. She then heard them yelling at her to get inside the woods nearby and hide. She complied and that's where they began telling her that they have been watching some sort of flying machine that didn't make any sort of noise flying around the field. They supposedly watched little people get out of the craft and take pieces of corn and soil, then they flew away. The uncle and father had been hiding in the woods for some time afraid to leave. All the people in the video have now passed on, but my grandma who is now in her mid-80s. The daughter and the story's niece, gave me this tape because she was curious if I could find any other reports from that time frame of anybody reporting the same sort of thing. I have the tape of the story, and that's about it. It's just a story, but interesting. I've seen a lot of the usual stuff out in northwestern Canada, but the only thing that made me really think twice about going into the woods out there was not wanting to find a body. There are dozens, hundreds, of unsolved missing persons cases out there, many of them indigenous women but some men and white people as well. There are signs up everywhere with information about the missing. I hope they're found and their families find some closure, but I dreaded being the one to come across the corpse. The other thing that made me think twice was the bullet holes everywhere. Blowing holes in highway signs is bad, but these F heads would shoot up outhouses. Nothing like taking a dump and counting the bullet holes in front of your face. Canada has some stricter gun laws than the states, but people still make bad decisions. So nothing really spooky, just people. I used to spend weekends and summers hunting alongside my grandfather when I was in middle school. He taught me the ways of the woods, the patience required, and the respect for nature. It was a bonding experience, one that I cherished deeply. One autumn afternoon, as the sun cast a golden glow upon the forest, I took aim and shot a doe, my first successful hunt. The crack of the rifle echoed through the trees, and I felt a mix of excitement and pride wash over me. Little did I know that this experience would forever change my perspective on hunting. As I approached the fallen doe, ready to field dress and prepare it for consumption, I noticed movement out of the corner of my eye. A fawn, no larger than a puppy, emerged from the underbrush. It had been hidden, obscured by the tall grass and the shadows of the forest. The realization hit me like a punch to the gut, I had unknowingly orphaned this young creature. The fawn stood there, its innocent eyes wide with confusion and fear. It emitted a series of high-pitched cries, almost like mournful wails, as if desperately trying to wake its mother from an eternal slumber. My heart shattered into a million pieces as I watched this tiny creature grieve the loss of its parent. In that moment, the thrill of the hunt vanished, replaced by an overwhelming sense of guilt and remorse. I couldn't bear witness to this heartbreaking scene any longer. Tears welled up in my eyes as I made the decision that would shape my future, I vowed to never hunt again. My grandfather, understanding the weight of the situation, put his hand on my shoulder, offering silent support. He, too, 
had witnessed the emotional toll that hunting could exact. We carried the doe back to our truck in silence, our spirits heavy with sorrow. From that day forward, I turned away from hunting and embraced a different path, a path that involved appreciating and protecting wildlife rather than taking their lives. I dedicated myself to conservation efforts, learning about the delicate balance of ecosystems and the importance of coexisting with the natural world. That encounter with the fawn remains one of the saddest experiences of my life. It serves as a constant reminder of the profound impact we have on the lives of animals and the responsibility we bear as stewards of the earth. Though I will never hunt again, I strive to ensure that future generations appreciate and preserve the beauty and wonder of our natural world. I hunt and camp, and I'm not afraid of the woods. I still go solo backpacking. Back when I was in my early 20s I went camping or hunting by myself in northern, Georgia near a town called Hiawassee. Camp was a mile or two down a sketchy dirt road, and I hiked up a mountain to a spot I liked to hunt another half mile or so. Anyway, it started to get dark and it started to snow and I didn't see any deer, so I gathered my gear and decided to head back to camp. When I got up and turned around I was about 15 yards away from the biggest black bear I've ever seen. We locked eyes and I froze. Easily a 500 pounds or more bear. All I had was my 12 gauge slugger. Thankfully the bear turned and ran away. I slept in my car that night as I was alone out there. And for a while I was afraid of camping alone that deep in the woods. I had a disturbing experience when I was younger. My family was on a day trip by car and we stopped at a fast food restaurant to eat. We walk in and immediately I was overcome with a sense of extreme dread and fear. I soon noticed a man eating by himself. He was pale skinned and wearing a white pullover shirt. He also had on a yellow knitted cap. The hair was sticking out of it as if he had been wearing this for a long period of time. I was extremely frightened with a feeling of evil that was overwhelming. His looks didn't alarm me, but his aura was ominous. I immediately lost my appetite because of my sense of terror. I couldn't help but look over at this man. He was also moving in very slow and deliberate. As I looked closer, his fingernails were long and bluish in color. His eyes were black, which stood out against his pale skin. I tried to get my parents to notice but they continued talking. Apparently no one else was picking up this vibration of malevolence. Eventually I abruptly interrupted their conversation and said, look at that man over there, while nodding in his direction. My father turned and said which man? That quickly, the strange man had disappeared. There was no trace of him. I had only taken my eyes off of him for a few seconds. He simply vanished. I still felt his presence. In fact, I felt like he was near me for the rest of the day. I have never had that same feeling since that day, but I know I have seen the same strange man on several occasions. I truly believe that the he was actually there and that he somehow disappeared into an alternate realm. This happened approximately 11 years ago, 1992. It was around 3 in the morning, I was coming home from a party with a friend. 
We were driving down Roberts Road and I know you're thinking Resurrection Mary but this has nothing to do with her. There was somebody standing by the curb with a lantern and he got in front of the car and we slowed down. He walked toward the car. We looked. He had. It was February, he had, like one of his arms was out, like a bandage was hanging. It was stained to look like blood or whatever. This was really gruesome looking. His mouth was agape. His eyes were like rolled in back of his head. His leg was missing and you could see like a translucent face through him. We just looked at each other and were just like, whoa. We drove on. He walked in back of the car and the other car, we looked in back, and the other car went right through him. Went right through him. Art Bell asks him to get over it again, we both saw it and he was right by the side of us. We drove and he continued to walk across the street and there was another cemetery, it was Bethany, he was walking to the other cemetery. And there was another car in back that drove right through this apparition. I mean it blew me away for like a year. I'm telling you. Spooked. That was the most spooked out one I've ever been. I mean, I had a witness. We called justice police but they didn't want to get into it and then I called Richard Crow, a famous Chicago-based paranormal investigator. I was attacked by an unknown light. So, I was walking my dog in the front yard. I was hit with a light. It felt like it went down in me, then back up. It felt like it lifted my upper body up just a little bit. I felt expanded. I felt like I was energy and light. When I looked at everything, it was covered in shimmering light. The grass, the leaves, my arms. When I looked around, my movement felt like it was flowing. It stopped after about 10 seconds. Then for about 20 minutes after, I would get a small glimpse of that feeling and I would get goosebumps up and down my arms, and a warm feeling across my chest. The next morning I noticed a rash starting on my chest and arms. It spread very fast. Across my chest, down my shoulders, arms and tops of my hands. Everywhere that was exposed the day before. I saw a dermatologist. They do not know what it is. They tested for cancer. Negative. They gave me a steroid didn't work at all. Nothing will help it. I still have the rash. It won't go away. It's itchy, bright red, and is kind of shaped like leopard spots. If I'm in the sun too long. It puffs up a little. Then it goes flat again, but hasn't gone away or gotten any lighter. I have also been hearing things in just my left ear since then. I hear humming, ringing, text tone sounds, and a few times I've heard people talking some in different languages, being changed every couple seconds, like channels on a radio station. My husband and I, well, we were newlyweds when our encounter with Bigfoot happened during the Christmas season up around Odell Lake in Central Oregon. Here is our account and story. Our account, by the way, is true, and this is what my husband and I saw, and what we experienced while on a belated honeymoon or Christmas getaway. And no, this did not deter us from the future plans we were making to move to this part of the country at all, not even a little bit. Actually, it gave us even more of a reason to relocate and live here as you will soon understand. 
My husband and I were orphans. It was crazy to meet someone like him, who was, well, like me, from an adopted home. We met at school after my parents relocated to the Bay Area. Come to find out a week later, we would also attend the same church too. Yes, my parents are my loving awesome parents, and they have raised a pretty well-rounded daughter I believe. Did great in school, leads a home Bible study to this day, and ended up with a degree in marketing. My husband ended up in a very loving home as well. His parents were also believers who loved him and gave him every advantage some orphaned children never get to experience. So, because of that, he became an organizer for a large Christian outreach program for orphaned children around the world. It keeps him at home, but from time to time is does have to leave for a few days or so at a time. Thus the reason for a belated honeymoon. As I said, we both had a lot in common, faith, fun, music, movies, and a love for the great outdoors. We loved the Pacific Northwest especially. It was this love for the outdoors that led us to an unexpected run-in with this animal, or creature called Bigfoot, it was Christmas time nearly a decade ago. We had been married almost a year at that time, we opted for a December wedding because we were winter freaks I suppose, and I did not want to wait any longer. Besides, Christmas and anniversaries sounded great together. He had to be gone for a few days right after our wedding, so we promised each other a belated honeymoon and a Christmas in the Pacific Northwest, preferably Oregon, Central Oregon. That brings me to our encounter, something rather frightening, but interesting all at the same time. And, yes, it gave us a Christmas and belated honeymoon we would never forget. Central Oregon it was, Lake Odell to be exact, our one-year anniversary, and the honeymoon we missed, and Christmas that year would be spent there. Our parents would meet us up there right before Christmas Eve, but we would be there for a whole week before, and a few days after Christmas. We wanted at least 10 days of just enjoying each other, and God's green earth together, well, it turned out to be a white earth with all the snow. That was fine by us, as a matter of fact, we were into sledding and even cross-country skiing. So, with everything packed, including skis, we set off for a long drive. What I do know for a fact was that this thing was slightly bent down to look through the window itself. It took us hours upon hours to get there, but, by nightfall we made it, all safe and sound. I have to say, it was even more beautiful than I expected, even as the sun was almost gone and I could only see so far. I could make the outline of the surrounding mountains, the lake that looked to have frozen edges, and some lights from a couple cabins that must be in use nearby. There were not a lot of cabin lights I noticed, just a couple from what I could tell, but then again, there were so many trees everywhere so who could tell if there were more anyways. Our cabin was just out of sight of the lodge, yet within the shelter cove section. Within a couple minutes, we made it to the cabin. We were exhausted and decided to just unpack real quick and turn in for the night. Of course, we could not sleep just yet so we grabbed some hot tea and enjoyed the warmth of the fireplace. The first night was quiet and uneventful, it was not until the next day that some odd occurrences and weird things would be noticed and experienced. I was up first the next morning. I grabbed a few things we forgot out of the car and got the skis off the rack and leaned them up against the cabin on the front porch area. 
I decided to take a quick walk with a hot cup of coffee down by the edge of the lake about 50 feet from the cabin. As I came to the edge of the lake I noticed I was correct, the lake was frozen to about 20 or so feet out from the shoreline. I also noticed I was not the only visitor to this part of the lake, I noticed footprints. At first, it took me a few seconds to grasp what I was looking at, I even pulled my head up and looked around I remember wondering who in the world is running around this place barefoot? It was around 30 degrees out that morning I remember, clear skies, but 30 degrees. I did not notice if they were overly large at the time or not, all I could really make out was the front half of each foot. Trust me, it was frozen solid down by the lake, any impression at all would have to be from someone, or something very heavy. That was the weird part at the time that made me think for a minute. I looked around at my surroundings a bit, and then back down at the footprints that led along the edge of the lake towards the lodge thinking. It was a little odd I thought, but that was it, I just thought it was odd. I told my husband over breakfast and he, like me, agreed there must be one not so smart cookie up here this week. The rest of the day was spent having fun, of course, it was midweek, so the crowd was sparse at best, which was fine by us. I have to say, the couple running the resort were awesome folks. We had told them about this being our belated honeymoon and our real first Christmas together. With that, they had brought us a Christmas tree and some ornaments for it. It was a sweet gesture we took full advantage of that second night. We trimmed the tree, ate dinner and decided to take a walk down by the lake right before dark. We walked along the shore away from the lodge, in a northeasterly direction. It was then that we thought we heard a whistle coming from the woods above us. It whistled a second time and you could not mistake it, someone was whistling in the woods. My husband thought nothing of it only mentioning it was probably just a person passing by. As we walked, the whistles kept coming, not constantly, but every few minutes or so. Back in the cabin once again, we turned in for the night. The next morning, as usual, I was up before my husband not wasting one minute up there. I filled up my coffee cup and headed out the door for a walk along the lake while my husband slept. As I barely got past where we parked the car when I noticed footprints in the snow again. This time I knew they were fresh, I was out here yesterday and would have noticed them. These, however, were rather large I noticed, and the length between them, the stride, was rather long. I would wait until my husband woke up to show him, and I continued with my walk. This time, that morning, I did feel a little off while on my walk. I felt like I was being watched. My husband, being the sweetheart he is, called over to the lodge to let them know what we found. It was a husband and wife team by chance that ran the place back then, and the husband came over to check it out. He joked about it, but he did mention Bigfoot. We all laughed at it, of course, but he did say that there had, over time, been reports of sightings of the creature around the area. But, he reassured us he had never seen one, and personally did not believe they even existed. To this day I believe he was telling us the truth, I think he never heard anything or noticed anything while he, they, were there. We all shook it off to be somebody messing around, but who it was could not be anyone staying there at the time, the other couples were older folks for the most part. Either way, he said he would keep an extra eye out, and that we should too. 
It was my husband that woke me up in the middle of the night two days later. He was wide-eyed and fully awake. No, he was not frightened or scared at all, but he was fully alert and dragged me out of bed, and over to the window in the kitchen. He propped open the window just a bit. The cold night breeze almost hurt to tell you the truth, but he insisted I stand still and listen. Howling, but not a dog type of howl, more like a deep almost screaming howl coming from the mountains behind the cabin. Later, a month later listening to some recordings I would find online, I can honestly tell you it was a Bigfoot howling that night, besides, and not just because we would see it. The sounds were freaky and in a weird, chilling kind of a way. After a few minutes, and at the behest of me to shut the window, my husband reluctantly did so. We chatted again for a bit about it before we both fell back to sleep. Mine and my husband's parents would be there in just a few days to spend the last four days with us. Of course, they would all be in the cabin next to us, well, not right next to us, it was about 40 to 50 feet away from ours. The footprints and now the howling was making me feel a little uncomfortable. Not for my safety or anything like that really, looking back now I do, but then it was just feeling uncomfortable with my parents being there to experience these weird little things. At that time, we were about to spring it on our folks that we would, inside a year, be moving to Central Oregon. I wanted nothing to make them feel any more worried about, including Bigfoot. Well, as far-fetched as Bigfoot seemed to me at that moment, it could be a little bit of an issue. The rest of that day I decided to let it go, I put Bigfoot out of my mind, and started focusing on getting things ready, and get some skiing in with the husband. There were no more weird feelings of being watched or howls for a night or two after that night. However, the footprints were still being found all over the place, and some came pretty close to the cabin, our cabin. The parents would be there the next day, the day after my husband and I realized how real these things, this Bigfoot species is. Christmas Eve Eve, it was the weekend, and we decided to get some cross-country skiing in. It was a clear day, the snow had stopped, and clear skies were to be the weather pattern for the next few days to come. No creepy feelings came that day I remember, but, then again, there were a lot of people enjoying the snow that whole weekend, especially the last day of the weekend. Like many animals, maybe being a little fearful and weary of humans runs deep with this species as well. Some of the stories I hear seem to fly in the face of that belief, but when you see these things and know they are there, well, I think they would rather not be involved with people, for the most part at least. But, back to the day. It was great, all of it, I was having a great Christmas vacation and honeymoon, and telling you the truth, a part of me was a little thrilled with the footprints and howling going on, it made it just that much more exciting to a point. However, exciting would turn into less excitement and more of a cautious interest, and massive of shock at first too. We had eaten dinner I made some cookies earlier for dessert, and some hot cocoa with peppermint, I always add peppermint to my cocoa. We were wrapping gifts for our parents when I noticed some movement near the kitchen window. Mind you, the kitchen window was rather high off the ground and larger than you expect for a rental cabin in the woods. Whatever it was, I could not see the street light down the way towards the lodge I could usually see through the window, whatever it was, was blocking it. 
As I looked out the window, it only took seconds and then all of a sudden, well, I felt a sense of shock go right through me. I grabbed my husband's arm tightly I remember, he even made a sound it was so hard. He followed my gaze at that moment out the kitchen window. I have seen film of Bigfoot since then, and I have to say, there was a film of one walking through the forest in the Sierras I believe by a forest service guy, that was it, except I could see the face and the upper torso, well, I think most of the upper torso. What I do know for a fact was that this thing was slightly bent down to look through the window itself. Its face was not human, but it did have a human likeness to it. The report of an ape-like nose I can understand, however, it was not smashed down like a great ape, you could see a sort of rounded nose that was longer than it was smashed. Work from home, click here to learn more about how you can partner with a great company today, and start that work at home lifestyle today. The face was long, and the eyes were huge, but had a ton of wrinkles around them, between the red eye shine and the wrinkles, that is what made this thing look truly scary. Its mouth was huge, and I could even see some of the teeth between the large lips. The skin was dark gray, not gray, but a darker gray like a real dark stormy sky before a bad storm. It had no ears sticking out, and the hair seemed to be a dark dark brown, at least it looked like it. The eyes were huge, it just looked scary. There was little hair between the nose and lower forehead area, we got a good look at this thing. It was wrinkly too, very wrinkly. It looked at us as though it was curious, but frustrated all at the same time. Or, perhaps it was just frustrated and wanted to eat us, I don't know, I don't think anyone is in the heads of these things yet. It blinked once then turned and walked off. We immediately jumped up, locked the front door and I shut off the lights. We had no gun at the time, so we were rather frightened for our own safety because of that fact. We stood there for about another three to four minutes just staring out the window, talking about what we saw. While in the middle of talking, or whispering more like it, that creature, that Bigfoot thing came back into view, except closer to the tree line about 30 yards from the cabin. It was tall but, compared to me, anything was tall compared to me though as I am all of the 5 feet 6. But this thing, well, it had to be at least 8 feet tall. My husband, the next morning would say it around 7 to 71 or 2 feet tall when he compared it to the tree it was next to. It was standing near a large pine tree, a Douglas fir if I remember correctly. It was visible because of the street light near the lodge, casting a backlight on it. I could not make out the face anymore, but it was tall, long arms, and seemed to have a slight bend at the hips as it walked away. It had a funny looking gait. When people say it steps one foot in front of the other, it does, and I don't think it can help it the way the shape of the body looked, hopefully, those of you who have seen this thing can understand what I mean. We immediately called over to the lodge waking up the managers. The husband came out on a ski machine about 20 minutes later, and he too was surprised at the footprints, their shape, size, and the fact that they looked close to human footprints. However, he noticed that the big toe was off too far to the side to be human unless the human happened to be a giant person with deformed feet. While we wanted to laugh at the comment to keep our spirits up, we all just looked around and parted ways quickly heading back inside. It was late, 
It was just after midnight by that point and the parents would be there that day. While we eventually did fall asleep, it was not until after a cup of tea and some time to process what we had seen. In the meadow, we built an abominable snowman. Scary, but, with all the people out and about up here during the holiday week, I felt more, well, lucky to have seen what I saw the night before than anything. However, I was still a little freaked out. I guess I felt that way because I was in what I felt to be a safer environment at the time, some people are not when they have an encounter. We kept close to the resort as we walked around a bit that next day, but most of the time was spent getting things ready for the parents' arrival. Of course, a bit after they arrived, we told our parents what we experienced that night over dinner, and they did believe us. So much so, that my mom wandered around a little nervous I could tell the next few days. We also told them that we were relocating to Central Oregon, to the Bend area to be exact. They were a little sad at the news, but they joked that I could do some research on the ape-like creature we saw in our cabin window, 